Last week was, where is Christ now? And the answer was, Christ rose bodily from the grave on the third day after his death and is seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling his kingdom and interceding for us until he returns to judge and renew the whole world. But I remember us doing a lot of talk about why the resurrection is important. At least that was a question I think that Paul asked. Um, The question this week Question 50 is, what does Christ's resurrection mean for us? And so when I sat down to start, look, start looking at this, I thought, I feel like we've kind of talked about this already. And uh, there is some overlap between last week, this week, and next week is about the ascension. And I think there's some overlap in all three of these. Uh, the question is, what does Christ's resurrection mean for us? The answer is Christ triumphed over sin and death by being physically resurrected so that all who trust in him are raised to new life in this world and to everlasting life in the world to come. Just as we will one day be resurrected, so this world will one day be restored. But those who do not trust in Christ will be raised to everlasting death. Um, there's, I've got 58 verses picked out for us today. Oh my gosh. They're all in one chapter though, so it's okay. Um, we're going to take a look at, first, if you could just open your Bible up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm depending on this group's ability to converse and have discussion, because I think that this will spur some discussion. Uh, what I like about 1 Corinthians 15, all 58 verses, is that I read uh, the commentaries that were attached to this question, and I thought they were interesting. D.A. Carson, I always loved D.A. Carson. He was one of them. It was really good. But I started reading 1 Corinthians 15, and I thought, this is even better. Um, And 1 Corinthians 15 reads more, I think, there's very, some passages, it feels like they're so much condensed, but 1 Corinthians 15, I feel like Paul's just talking about this topic and presenting some arguments. And it's actually super interesting just to read. There's a deer right outside the window. Um, a deer. Deer. It was a deer. It wasn't just a squirrel. If it was a squirrel, I wouldn't have stopped. Um, sorry. There, actually, there was, a, there was a Wednesday night way back. Charity probably remembers this, where we were sitting in this little foyer out here, and like three deer walked through the, the, the parking lot. Were you here when that happened? That was distracting. Yeah. I, uh, oh, one more, one more sidetrack. It's okay. Do you, are you sad? You know that, well, that deer's name was Bambi. And so, but your dad likes to call it veal parmesan. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm sorry. Venison, venison parmesan. Um, all right, I'm sorry, I'm way, way distracted. 1 Corinthians 15, I would like to read through this. I'm going to pause at certain points and opt in for some discussion time. Uh, I'd like you to be thinking about things that I, th- I think we could talk about when we're talking about this are things like, what, what does this mean? How does this relate? All those kinds of things, okay? So I'm going to read the first 11 verses, and then we'll pause for our first little discussion point. Um, 1 Corinthians 15. 
Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, which Paul talked a little bit about last week, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, you want to talk to him, I think is the point, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But the grace of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I have a hard time not saying that in Popeye voice. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. All right, so first, opt in for some discussion. Um, when you hear that, what are some things that come to your mind right off the bat? Forget the question about the resurrection, just in general. When you read this, what, what are some things that come to your mind? Anything? I'll tell you what came to my mind. Dr. Siancio, right? Just this, like Paul's writing this at a time, and he says there's still people alive that saw him. There was a group of 500 at one time. Like this is not something that we're just trying to convince you of. Feel free to ask around. Um, that's this whole first part came to my mind when I thought about that was Dr. Sianto talking about the validity of this resurrection. That's going to become even more important here in this next little part. Um, anybody else thoughts on this first part? We're just getting get, just getting started. It's okay. And don't let me down. I was expecting some conversation, but that's okay. It's going to get more interesting. 12 to 19, I'm going to read next. So, now, I love this because my math teacher brain loves logical argumentation, okay? And so there's a little bit of logical argumentation going on here. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, which he was just talking about, this is what we're proclaiming to everybody. This is what we proclaim in the world today. Christ has been raised from the dead. There's this Christ, he's been raised. How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Which I don't think most of us are dealing with that, but that was an issue. There's no resurrection. But then listen to the argument. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. 
If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now, in his argumentation for the resurrection, the first chunk was witnesses. But now he's doing something a little bit different. If this isn't true, if we're, we're proclaiming this, if it's not true, what, what are a couple things that you see in there? If the resurrection wasn't an actual real event, Paul says, hey, if this isn't true, then what are a couple things that he mentioned in there? I should have asked that question before I read it. That way you could be preparing. Mm, that, yeah, that's one definitely, right? Previous Christians, they've, you know, those who have fallen asleep, they're, they're perished, they're gone. Okay? You guys see anything else in there? If Christ? You're still, ooh, that's interesting. You're still in your sin. Um, when I think about this question, the resurrection, one of the things that comes up is this idea of vindication, that it was approved and accepted by God. Who was here when Herb Hunter preached, um, the missionary Herb Hunter preached on Easter? Who was in here? Does anybody remember that? I thought that of all the of all the explanations of why the resurrection was so important, that that one topped that one topped the cake for me. I've just never really thought about it in those terms. For those that don't, for those of you that do remember, somebody tell me what do you remember about that? What what was a, an important reason why Christ was resurrected? What what how did that validate or vindicate? Oh come on. Yes, and so remember when uh, they all, remember all the people waiting outside of the the tabernacle, right? And they're all waiting outside the tabernacle. Is is it going to be accepted, right? Will the high priest come back out? And do you remember? Is it coming back to you now, right? And they're all sitting there waiting. Is the high priest? I mean, that was what they were waiting for because if he goes in and he's not accepted, he's not coming back out. And so the anticipation. And so the same, that same sense of anticipation is Christ in the tomb. So when he comes back out, that's a way of saying accepted. It validates his final words of it is finished, that it really was. And I, I love that. But I think that that's the connection then between these things. If Jesus wasn't really raised, then where's our resurrection and that argument, we are still in our sins, that's where that comes into play. Because if it wasn't accepted, then we would still be in our sins. Okay? All right. Um, I also like that last part because is there a thought process today that, hey, it's okay, if you want to believe that, you can believe that. You know, believe what you want, that can be your truth. But as Christians, we're not just saying this is just what we want to believe. We're saying this is what really happened. And if this really happened, that changes everything. I mean, if there is in the history of humanity someone who came and said all the things he did and then died, eh. but if he came back, that just changes everything. Nobody else can say that. Okay. Um. Now, next part, 20 through 28. I'm going to read this. You guys are let me down. I haven't heard a lot of discussion yet. I'm missing Kevin. He's the one that usually gets it going. Um, 
20 through 28, I'm going to read. I think there may be some questions when we get to verse 29. Uh, Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. So he did an argumentation of like, if he hasn't, then boom, 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 right? But now he's saying, but hey, he has. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, who's that man? Adam. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. And then it tells us directly, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Okay, so we're getting a little bit of order of something that's going to happen here, right? So the, the order, Christ, the firstfruits. At his coming, those who belong to Christ. And then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So if you're a post-millennialist, then you think that Christ will have all enemies under his feet before he comes back. The world be to the Father will usher in the millennium. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm, yeah. For he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. Then the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is, ex- that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. <laughs> yeah, Paul. Hold up. Okay. Yeah, I would, I feel, see, now if I had this thing set up, I could have a little thing, and this is subjection to him, subjection. Well, I'm going to really blow your minds with the next verse. Oh, I want to. I want to confuse everybody even more. (laughs) Okay, okay, I won't. Well, okay, let me read this last part again. Verse 24, let's go back up to verse 24. Then comes the end. Okay, I'm with him. Okay? I've got it in my way. I better go back. As in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Okay, I'm with you, Paul. But each in his own order. Okay, we've got an order. Christ's first fruits, okay? Then it is coming those who belong to Christ, okay? Then comes the end. We're good. The end, he's going to deliver the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. This, I think, may tie a little bit into some things that Paul's talking about today. Not going to go there? Okay. The kingdom. Oh, so this is why you're saying earlier, you'd love it. Yeah, okay. So much. 
For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So all the enemies will be placed under his feet. Then finally, death will be destroyed. For God has put all things, God the Father has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. I think that means the Father is accepted from that. All things are subjected under him, except for the Father isn't subjection to the Son. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son, once all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him, the Father, who put all things in subjection under him, Jesus, that God may be all in all. So God puts all things under Christ, except for the Father. And then once he, puts, once he has all things in subjection, then all things will be ultimately in subjection to the Father. Right? It's a pyramid scheme. <laughs> but it works. But it's actually going to happen. Okay, Paul, now can I go to the next one to really confuse people? Yeah, does it? Okay, yeah, I guess I should stop. I didn't stop for questions. Do you have any questions on that? Like a million questions? You have any questions that I could actually answer on that? <laughs> you know, I, and this is why I threw in that comment about different end views. The, the, the order here I find confusing. Exactly at what point is what going to happen when? I mean, I think we're all in agreement that there's, we're all in agreement where we're at here. Christ is reigning at the right hand of the Father. And we're all in agreement about at some point, in the future, everything is going to be made new, new heaven, new earth. We're going to be made new. Death has been... But the, 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 the playing out of, okay, so he's going to put everything in... He's going to defeat all of his enemies, and then, then it finally he's going to defeat death. Then, then he hands it to the Father. But then earlier he had said the end comes... So, right? <laughs> then comes the end. Oh, that's true. So then the, so this is the end. Yeah. So, Andrew, were you going to explain this to us? I think it's all the above. Because, because you figure, in one sense, that I've, I've always heard the illustration, I think I got this one from D.A. Carson, that there was, 
and I wish I, I was a better historian. There was a battle in World War II, which is historians consider the, the definitive battle where the Nazis lost. But then it was several months still. That's okay. So, but then everything after that, there was still fighting, there was still all of this, but like it had lost. And so D.A. Carson re- references that and he says that's very much what happened at the cross. Satan lost. At this point, we're just taking ground. You know, he's defeated. But then that final defeat is over here. There, so there's at some point where, I mean, because we still do have, the sting of death is gone, but we still have people die. It's still here, right? Death is still here. So at some point, that the fullness of it is going to... Mm-hmm. So the death not being defeated, what does I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I know from this text, the thing that I get from it, the main thing I get from it is the fact that he did that shows me that I'm gonna get to participate in that. His resurrection is the key element that shows me. I have a resurrection. Um, the rest of it, I don't know. I think I've talked about this before. Like my view of the end times I chucked a while ago and I haven't picked up a new one yet. <laughs> and so the playing out of these things, I'm good. Or as I like to say, I'll be up in the air until we're all up in the air. Right? Once we're all up, I'm going to go, oh, this is how this happens. I'd like to throw in something that will help clarify what Paul's talking about, though. So the Corinthians, one of the, one of the thoughts that was going around in the Corinthian church at that time, even amongst Christians, was that um, when someone died, it was elimination, annihilation. You were, you were just gone. Like, there wasn't something after. And so that's one of the things that Paul is battling in this, is some people had started getting to the point where they're like, yeah, we want to be Christians, but the hope was, and this is why he throws in that, if, if this is all we have hope for, what's, what's the point? He's actually arguing against them, whereas their, their whole concept was, hey, we, you become a Christian for what you get now. And Paul's argument then is saying, hey, that's, this is another enemy that will be defeated. And so we're still facing it. So I think that, the key element there with this is that, hey, 
death, this thing that's still happening because they've had people die, that's going to be completely usurped, no authority any longer for those who are in Christ. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now I'm going to move on to the next one. Uh, all right, so for those of you that aren't regular Bible readers, you're going to hear this next part and go, what? <laughs> Wait, what? Verse 29. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Okay, then he moves on from that. Just thrown in there, no explanation. I'll tell you what I know. We don't know. Now, I think the important thing is he doesn't say we should do it. So if anybody reads this and comes up with a whole new, oh, is this something we should be doing? No, because he doesn't say this was something they were doing. We don't know exactly what it was. There's two views. But he's not, we're not commanded to do it. He also doesn't, though, and the part that bothers me is that he doesn't also condemn it. And that would make me feel a lot better about the whole thing if he said, stop doing that. <laughs> right? Yes. Oh, yeah, they did, right? Oh, really? I did not know that. And get baptized on their behalf. Oh my goodness. Oh, wow. Hmm. Nice. Not really nice. That's but I guess what we just talked about, if they're combating nihilism, he's, he's maybe saying, pointing out in their flaws, in their own logic. Yes. You, you believe in nihilism, and yet you still get baptized for the dead. What's the point of that if you believe you're just a nihilist? If you don't really believe it, yeah. Right. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There we go. There, there is another view, but I don't think it's, it's accurate. There, the, the other view is that they're actually talking about, um, that's a way they talked about being baptized for themselves, that they would, because they were dead. It, it doesn't really flow 
So, all right, but then he moves on to a different argument then. You know, okay, well, if that doesn't defeat their, their thought process, how about this one? Why are, why are we in danger every hour? Why, why am I risking my neck? Right? Why am I risking my neck? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I, quote, fought with the beast to Ephesus? I mean, when he was in Ephesus, it was, he's talking about his time there and the dealings he had with people. He described it, and it must have come to be a thing. Oh, Paul, when he fought with the beasts at Ephesus, right? Um, and it's not literal beasts. But he says, what, what, what good would that be if I was doing that, risking myself, if the dead are not raised? If the dead are not raised, then he uses another argument that they would say. Here's another quote. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And, and the reality is that that's the thing. Christians, if we, if we think that we ought to be living a certain way just for this, I would argue, I'd say, hey, if there's not that, then let's live it up, right? If there is no that, like there's nothing in and of itself, and this is where I think some Christians go awry, and I think this is one of the important elements about even what I've been thinking lately with that book I've been, I've been listening to, a book that has to do with how Jesus talks about rewards. And to, to think about that, right, there isn't something inherently beneficial in just living a sacrificial life in and of itself. Does that make sense? Just being a sacrificial person in and of itself no. In fact, Christ doesn't tell us to do it for those reasons. In fact, he, what, the kinds of things he says is, hey, you're not going to give up anything that I will not repay you. How many fold? There. So I don't think it's a Christian philosophy that, you know, that like I'm limited in monastery, I've given up everything, I'm just suffering through this life. That in and of itself, like that is just good in and of itself. Jesus always lays it out. Do this because... Of that, and I know that I even talk in this way, I start to verge into John Piper desiring God territory. Um, but I think there is a lot of truth to that. Jesus does not have a problem at all saying, Live this way, not just because, live this way because of what I'm going to do for you there. There's reward, and it's great, and it's better than anything that you're going to give up. You can't give up anything here, that you won't get better there. And so that argumentation, and I think that that's literally what Paul is kind of talking about here. But what good is it, humanly speaking, if the dead are not raised, hey, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Now, I've heard this next verse in a completely different context by my mom a thousand times. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Okay, comments before we move on to the next part. Yeah. I didn't say anything before when he said we should be repeating. I guess I've thought that way for a while. I see people who are not Christians, and I'm like, if you don't believe, you should be living this life up. You're just probably borderline blasphemy. But I'm like, if you are not going to make it, it's like, you know? Yeah. I kind of feel that way, but then I look at some Christians too who are kind of like half, mm-hmm. half in, not all in, and I'm like, it's kind of the same. Yeah. 
Was it, um, I want to say it was Erasmus, but I cannot remember right now because I'm doing this on the fly. There was a, I think he was a mathematician as well, but he had this wager. He said, you know, you live the Christian life because even if you're wrong, it, it'll be worth it in this life. And I think that Paul would argue with that, that if, if, that, if it's not true, it's not worth it, <laughs> is what Paul is saying. If, if that's not true, if all this st- stuff after is not true, this really isn't worth it. And I, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I, I think that's, I mean, I mean, you know, working as a pastor as well as a teacher, there's times where I'm like, oh, man, you know, I'm tired. And if, but one of my motivations is that, like that it's worth it, you know, that there's something for being sacrificial here for the sake of what's there. Um, but I think that, Paul would argue against it, and I think it was Erasmus. He said he made this wager. He said it's, he called it the great wager or something like that, and he said it, you might as well just do it because even if it's wrong, even if we find out that none of it was true, it's still worth it in this life because of all the benefits it has here. There's some truth to that, but I think Paul would ultimately argue against it. That it's like, what, what's the good, humanly speaking, of me fighting against the beast at Ephesus? Is it time? Okay. All right, well, let me, let me, let me, oh my gosh, I'm not even close. Um, okay, so I'm going to read through this last part, and this is probably, I should have just plowed through and gotten to this, because this is where it gets really, like, boop, what are we talking about? Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? That's a good question. You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Something I can remember Pastor Jacobs preached about all the time was this little thought right here. And what you sow in and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, to each kind of seed its own body. Okay? Not all flesh is the same. There's one kind for humans. Another for animals. Another for birds. It doesn't all taste like chicken. And another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one of is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. And even with the stars, he says, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It's similar. But there's something vastly different. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Which, don't be confused by this, I don't think that this means we're spirits and don't have a body. But he definitely calls it a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. 
Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. Have I lost everybody yet? The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. So, short version here before I finish. What we see in Christ and his resurrection body is what it will be like for us. He ate fish, right? But he also somehow walked through walls, could be wherever he needed to be. That would be great, wouldn't it? I need to be in Jerusalem. There I am. I'm kind of hoping that's the way it'll be. But I could still go, hmm, fried fish. (laughs) I lost my place. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this, imperishable, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. There's this end of death, right? Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore... My beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the, that the labor, that the Lord, I'm sorry, I can't read, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 